Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. All right, welcome back to Coffee and Conservation. I am Beth Baker, and hopefully you have been following along for the last few weeks as we talk to Nolina of Nolina's Heavenly Organics and and my grad student, Lexi. We are in the final episode with them, and this one's pretty fun. We're going to hear more uh, stories from the farm as we talk about some of the daily routines that Lexi and Nolina had and how Nolina built connection to nature and her community through farm operations. Enjoy. Yeah, I'm sure that as you ran the farm day to day, you found yourself having small rituals or routines. What were some of your favorite rituals on the farm? Well, let's see. Coffee in the morning and before going out to harvest. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. And um, the Sunday day of rest, because uh, what's really we always looked forward to that because uh, of the six-day work week, right? Um, and watching the plants grow and the and the and the, like the tomatoes ripen. And um, let me think about that. Oh, uh, also planning on what to cook. What's 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 ready in the field right now and what shall we prepare from that right and having people come to eat at the the farm produce together um as far as daily rituals go um mm -hmm. we love our dogs we have dogs on the farm and um so playing with the dogs and having them lay next to us when we're out weeding in a row uh little little things like that and also um watching the seasons change and the things uh, flower and ripen over time and just noticing what goes on in the natural world and out in the field and the birds. Um, the birds are um, plentiful uh, at the farm and um, they change with the, the season. So the, uh, for instance, in the spring, the warblers go through. So you may be out harvesting something early in the morning and hear a song and look up and it's a, a yellow warbler. Um, so those little things made, made the day worthwhile. Yeah. I love I, that. Yeah. I want to, I want to hear yours. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think one of the reasons in the beginning I was so eager to come back to the farm, I probably would have keep coming back anyway. Uh, Cause I was just volunteering for the first year or so that I was, out there was that Nolina did a really great job or just had this magical ability to create um, kind of a feeling or environment of comfort. So, you know, on days where it was really hot outside, it was always like, okay, let's sit down and have a smoothie and we'll play classical music and we'll just kind of observe things. And then on the days that it was really cold, it was let's all huddle into the little trailer we had, turn on the heat and here's some coffee and let's just uh, take a second and just be quiet before we go back out. Um, and just little things like that, that made whatever work was going on, even if it was unpleasant, um, really 
I, I don't know, it was almost more fun or just uh, appreciate. You have a lot more gratitude for what you're doing because um, Nolina just had this way of creating this very peaceful uh, environment to say, let's pause and let's, you know, take a break. Let's collect ourselves. Um, and that I loved. Um, other thing I wanted to mention, um, she said something about the birds, but uh, so in the Southwest or in the West, there are a lot more hummingbird varieties or species out there than there out here. And Nolina <laughs> <laughs> would hang uh, uh, tons of hummingbird feeders all around the property, but there would be times where there would be 40 to 50 to 60 hummingbirds just flying around you. And I would be up on a table trying to change out the sugar water and they'd just be like zooming around my head, like going at it. It was, it was crazy, but it was amazing <laughs> just the wildlife experiences we had out there because the land was this really great mix of cultivated and managed and also wild at the same time. Oh, thanks for those memories. Um, <laughs> I, one, one more that clicked into place when you were describing that was um, uh, uh, we used to do um, fun projects like for for some of the community plantings, we decided that we would make these prayer flags. So I bought all this old fabric at a thrift store and we divided it up into prayer flag size. And we had a, a painting session where in between planting or after planting, we all went in and made handprints with different colored um, paint on these prayer flags and uh, or some people just painted on there and and uh, so we had fun projects that we would also do to um that weren't exactly farming but uh or or we had some walls of like the so the photovoltaic system where we could paint sunflowers or write things like people would come and they would sign the wall right it, it's an outdoor big wall and um so those kind of things really also uh, were very uh, heartfelt, fun things to do uh, on the farm. And Lexi still has a, a string of those prayer flags, don't you, that everybody uh, did their handprints and paintings on and signed? I do. They're in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so nice memories. Thank you. Nolina yeah. also used to play classical music to the chickens. Uh, they seem to really oh. like it. <laughs> So cultured. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, the, that's one of the fun. That's one of the daily routines I forgot about was going out and gathering eggs from the chickens, or actually sitting in the the hen house was very big. Uh, there was a big yard and the laying the little laying area. The nest boxes were in the back, but we could sit in there on a on a milk crate and feed them bits of bread and they would come over and we named them. They had different names and we had an assortment of different colors of chickens. And so that was fun. And we had peacocks too. And so they would roam around. So there was a lot of beauty around, right? And the peacocks go, rah, rah. and so we could call and they would call back at us. <laughs> they yeah, were an alarm system too. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> The way you describe the the days and um, just living on the farm, it certainly is um, a lifestyle, and I could see why folks would be drawn to it. It also reminds me, Lexi, of discussions we've had more recently because uh, in our positions and in our work, it can be pretty um, 
high stress sometimes, you know, productivity is, is somewhat a high standard here. And I think I've mentioned to you several times how great it would be um, to just take retreats, just farming retreats where you're, <laughs> where you're just learning about it. And I know that those are quite popular in other uh, like high, high pressure industries and private industry that folks that like to get out of their regular line of work to take these type of retreats. So um, in a future business model, you might also incorporate just having volunteers through a retreat structure. <laughs> Farmers always have to diversify. So you have different kinds of income because sometimes you may lose a crop, right? So, uh, and that can uh, harm, harm your uh, financial solidity that you've worked so hard to build up. But so one of the things that um, was one of my dreams that I never quite realized that other people did was called farmcations, where they would have little places for people to stay that were from the city and would come and live and would bring their kids. Say a couple, young couple with kids would come and stay on the farm and work for a week and be part of the farm for a week. And it was called a farmcation. <laughs> Yeah, I think those are still a thing. I know one one producer around here who keeps a small house. They call it the Grateful House on his property. Um, actually, he was on the podcast earlier this season, if you want to listen back. Um, but it's a place that people can just come stay uh, a few, like on the weekend or whatnot. They don't have to work, but they can at least experience and learn about what the farm is doing. Um, Certainly is another, yes, very cool way for someone to diversify uh, their farm yeah. income. Uh -huh. And uh, one other thing was uh, the farm used to have uh, educational days where uh, kids from the schools would come. The buses would come out and bring a, a load of school kids and um, and uh, they we would have a day where uh, they they got where I gave a presentation about organic farming and about what we did on our farm and then they would get to go for a nature walk with one of the farm volunteers uh, her name was Tara and uh, she actually came three times over the life of the farm has come three times so um, and then uh, then they would come back and we would harvest and cook a lunch that we ate out in the field from everything harvested um, out of the field so and then the the uh, some of the teachers that came as uh what do you call it? chaperones or escorts would take the kids out in the field and they would draw like squash blossoms or they would do pastel drawings out in the field and um one one year a little boy came back holding up uh a dead gopher. He had found a gopher trap. Right. <laughs> and the little girls were going, ew, ah. And uh, he thought it was pretty cool, right? And um, uh, also that, that was one of the approach to critters that we had was we trapped gophers. So, um, of course, because we did not want to poison them and they really can multiply and eat a lot of your crops. So, um, but I really enjoyed the kids coming to the farm, a little girl pulling a carrot out, a little one-year-old, uh, who was a buddy of a sixth grader, right, pulling a carrot out of the ground and her eyes just growing big um, and sparkly because she's never seen where a carrot came from before. And, um, and, and also one day we had homeschooled kids that came with their parents. So we had a lot more adult kid ratio was uh, like a one-to-one -one or two-to-one, um, 
and they walked around and Harvard, uh, the 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 um, I guess homeschoolers have like a kind of a guidance thing. So one of the moms had made up a little minestrone soup recipe. The kids walked around with bags and harvested uh, everything they needed to take home for their parents to make minestrone soup that night. So that was really um, pleasant, also. That's a really cool way to have them learn more about where their food comes from and put it together and in a recipe that then even their parents can cook at home. And that's like the ultimate farm to table. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it is. <laughs> um, one thing you noted in that story, uh, you know, was the little girl realizing where her carrot came from and that connection to the land, which I know was a really important part of the farm that you had. And the, the fact that you wanted it to be organic um, and that connection to the environment and human health. Do you want to speak to how that came to be really important to you or why it came to be important to you and how it kind of unfolded on the farm? Um, let's see. I think I always cared about food because I grew up in the hippie era. Number one, like I'm a to was a tofu teenager. And number two, there was a book around back then called You Are What You Eat. So I know there's lots of new books these days that address the same topic. But um, so uh, and, and then uh, also I worked in the corporate world for a long time where people's connections and relationships are a lot different there, right? So I wanted a, uh, uh, I wanted to do something more meaningful in my life, and that's how I came to be a farmer, right? And I'll, I, I enjoy living out in the country more than in the city, and um, I don't like. Uh, I, I did do the city for a while, the corporate, and um, you know the the noise and riding your bike to work and breathing exhaust fumes and that sort of thing. Uh, um, wore me out. Um, and also the people lose their connection with, I don't know, with what's important in life, right? It, it, what, in that world, what became more important was success, money, and then you get locked into this consumer cycle going out to buy clothes to look good at work. And you spend a lot of time like, you know, preparing and going to work and, and uh, people lose their sense of humor because they work hard. <laughs> So, to me, a sense of humor is essential to get through life no matter what. So when I found the opportunity, I just sort of evolved towards where I wanted to buy uh, this piece of land because I fell in love with all the big old trees and, um, and, um, and thought of a way to uh, create a new lifestyle. And also, I did grow up in a rural area, up in Oregon, um, where there were farms all around. I've never been able to drink beer because the next door farm grew hops. And uh, back then, I don't know how they harvest them then, but they used to drive trucks along and cut the hops off. And when they harvested hops, the smell was so strong. Um, so I have never liked beer. That's so, <laughs> so interesting. You know, one, one thing leads to another. I know you just, and, and our childhood sticks with us always, but we did for a short time live on a, a farm when we moved to Oregon and uh, I roamed all around the woods and the fields. And, and so that probably stuck with me. So, um, and uh, so that's, so I've always cared. And, and also I've always been, um, I also grew up at the cutting edge of the uh, eco movement. I think when ZPG or zero population growth used to be a critical factor, it's changed now. Um, and, uh, 
global warming was a new concept. And so uh, a lot of things have to do with where you are in life, what era you're in. And um, But I do think that human beings are endlessly inventive and creative and will address things and that um, – and that the the kids grow up and and what they bring with them is is um, just marvelous. Um, there's a a radio program called Living on Earth that on NPR that I listen to, and so recently I heard where in Iceland they have a machine that pulls carbon out of the air, uh, sequesters carbon, uh, right, which is part of um, carbon dioxide and carbon what, monoxide and the carbon in the environment is one of the things that's harming the planet or contributing to global warming and the melting of the ice caps. So everything is connected everywhere, and people are always inventing new ways to address that. And um, And I do think that People are more and more aware. I'm not sure if the percentage of the population is holding uh, steady with those that care with because the population's expanding pretty rapidly. But when Time Magazine features uh, kindness, then that's a pretty good indication to me that the world is changing in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, that's Uh, a good point. Have you two seen that new issue of Time, a special edition? Um, yeah, I saw it on. Yeah, I saw it at the grocery store the other day. I didn't uh-huh. pick it up, but I was like, "Oh, that's nice." So it's the current <laughs> issue. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's called. It's special edition called "The Power of Kindness: Creating a Better Life in a Better World." And um, I haven't bought a magazine in so long, probably since they were four ninety nine, and they're now. I don't know, they're like $13 now. I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh, inflation has been racing by me. <laughs> to magazines and greeting cards. I, every time I get a greeting oh. card, I'm like, how is this a $10 greeting card? <laughs> <laughs> okay, one last follow-up question on that. And then I guess we can we can let you go. But this has been really um really rewarding um, to have you on the show. Really, I'm very grateful for you being on. I'm learning a lot. I'm I'm taking every little nugget you're giving us. Um, and so thank you again. Um, the last follow-up thing I wanted to ask related to, um, related to your connection to the land just kind of brings us back to conservation a little bit. You, you alluded to the area era that you grew up in and some of the ideas that ideals that you hold, but how did the experience of farming maybe reinforce some of your ideas about um, protecting soil and water resources, not only, you know, for societal goals and the environment, but also for your farm, system and the inputs that you were concerned about um, to keep the farm viable? Ah, great question. And I've enjoyed being on the show. I really care about these things. So thank you for asking me. But um, what I learned was that the world is far more complex than we understand. And there are so many individual choices that go into something like in farming. Daily, it's a choice what to use to feed the soil, what to use to address the insects, what to do to keep the javelinas that have migrated up from Mexico to central New Mexico and go in your field and and destroy the entire row of melon (laughs) 
Uh, and uh, so that's a, that's a new thing, right? The world is ever changing, but we, on a daily basis, a farmer has to make choices about how to farm and um, what inputs and what to use and how to approach it and little things like to till or not to till. Um, so I have just gained a greater awareness and clarity about how complicated everything is um, and uh, and also a, a, a more um, uh, uh, compassion in a gentler viewpoint and being less critical of people, right? That um, other farmers, if they do something different, going, well, I wouldn't do it that way. When I, and, and instead I go, huh, maybe there's a, something valid about the way that they do do it. And let's think about that, right? And uh, I do it this way, they do it that way. Uh, perhaps there's a little bit of good in each way. So being more flexible um, and being willing to uh, roll with the punches to adapt. You never know when you're going to get an early frost and it kills your crop, right? So then you have to be tenacious and go out and replant or uh, figure out something different to grow, to fill in for that gap that it left. So um, it's a whole multitude of um, choices every day. And to also uh, be grateful and look for the silver lining in everything. So that's, those are some of the things I've learned from being a farmer. And also, um, female farmers, go for it. Just do it. Yes, fantastic. All, all of those are such great points. And I cannot, again, just reiterate how grateful I am that the universe brought Lexi to you and then Lexi to me and serendipitously <laughs> then you to me. <laughs> um, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, everything's connected, huh? That's a, another thing. When you farm, you, you really, ha your eyes open wide at how, everything is connected. Yeah, I agree. Um, Lexi, do you want to add anything? I feel like we're kind of orbiting around you bringing us together too. So if you want to add anything about um, your experience, both on the farm and then transitioning to academia, just perspective wise, we're happy to have that. Yeah, working on the farm was very impactful in my life. And I came to the farm at a time where I really needed something like that, um, that connection. And it has really given me a perspective moving to Mississippi. And now we're dealing with more commercial farms and what Nalina just said about how you have to uh, not just have all these ideals about how things have to be, but to really think about the issues and how things are connected and how many different perspectives that, um, may come into it. And that is something that I was really, I really learned on the farm. And so I'm very happy that I've been able to pull a lot of that into my dissertation work. And I'm happy that you are also my advisor that I see were so embracing of Nalina and me bringing her onto the podcast. So it's been, been great for me too. Yeah, this was wonderful. It really was. Well, thank you so much for coming on Nalina. I appreciate it. Um, we appreciate you're, you're it. You're welcome, Lexi. The the uh, experience of farming seems to ripple out into all of life and keep 
coming up. And um, so uh, the value of community and relationships and um, in farming your reputation, you know, uh, just cannot be overstated. And also the uh, hurdles to women becoming farmers are imaginary. That's a holdover from the old days. So, so uh, just evaporate all that and just do whatever you want in life. <laughs> Yes, I love that. <laughs> Evaporate all that. We love water metaphors around here. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for having me. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu.